Hi, this is Jovi. This is Charlie. And you're listening to That Crime, crime Stories. Stories. This is a weekly true crime podcast where we actually don't pour ourselves a drink. It's only four <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon and I really don't feel like having one yet. And uh, tell each other stories that keep us up at night. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we don't really... Um, we're not really specific as to what drink we're drinking so i mean i have a drink it's just water i actually don't even have my water in here with me like i literally have no no drinks but i am willing to share stories that keep us all up at night wow i'm disappointed not even water not even water that's a shame that is a shame i actually haven't been very well hydrated today no no, no. And usually I'm really, really good about that. I got, you know, this Jovi, I got one of those like big, um, gallon jugs, <laughs> like the per day gallon jugs. And honestly, I put it on my nightstand last night before I went to bed just so I can have some sippy sippies mm-hmm. like, in the middle of the night in case. And I just never took it out of my, my bedroom this morning. And, uh, yeah, like, just like I was so confined to my office today during work. I was, I had like a super busy morning that I just didn't even get up and do it. It's not good. I'm not making excuses, but yeah. Well, just didn't do it. I blame West Wing. So I blame the West Wing too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. I blame the West Wing too. Damn that West um, Wing. Yeah. So I was telling Jovi before that for the last two weeks, like to the day, two weeks, all I've been watching is episodes of the West Wing because I've never watched it before. And I finally decided to start watching it and now I can't I can't watch anything else I'm so obsessed I just finally started the final season today so in two weeks I've gotten to the seventh season of the West Wing yeah do you see these giant bags under my eyes it's because (laughs) I haven't been sleeping I've just been watching the West Wing fucking (laughs) West Wing it's so good I'm sure I'd like it if it wasn't political but it's nothing but politics yeah I mean it's literally called the West Wing I know Yeah. Yeah. That's not, that's not my thing, but I'm glad you're enjoying it. Oh, it's fantastic. That is a bonus. How about you, Jovi? What's going on with you these past few days? Same shit, different day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Work is work Mm -hmm. is work. (laughs) Like I live a very, very boring life. Um, well right now it is, and I'm okay with it being boring right now because I had such a busy beginning half of the year. So like, I, I enjoy the fact that there's nothing going on. I will yeah. take it. I will take it. Yeah. I feel like I like my, my year has been ebbing and flowing. Like the beginning of the year was insane and it was actually crazy right up through like April, like mm-hmm. the first quarter and change of the year was just insane. And now right now I'm in a little bit of a lull, but starting next week, I ramp up until basically the end of the year and I'm nonstop until 2023 with work. So it's just, things have been crazy. So I've really been enjoying this little bit of a lull, hence watching the West wing. (laughs) Yes. I was going to say, enjoy it while you have it. Yeah. Don't take it for granted. No, no. Cause soon it will slip from my fingertips. Yeah. Yeah. Like the sands of time. Exactly. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, Jovi, you're actually going to be telling us our bed crime story tonight. Woot, woot. And I'm very excited to hear it. So uh, why don't you go ahead and take it away? Well, thank you. Um, thank you, Charlie. Has, I don't mm. even think I told you who I was doing this week. Did you I? Did not. You did not. Okay. Okay. Well, my sources for tonight's today's this sto- this week. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> I was trying to, you know, say whatever sources thoughtco.com 
Criminal Minds Wiki because Criminal Minds Wiki, the Reliable Murderpedia, and Biography.com. Okay. And now what I've noticed is with Biography.com, they actually have really good stuff. Like I didn't realize that they pretty much had a biography on anyone really like anyone Mm -hmm. it's kind of cool i dig it it is pretty cool um especially when it's something that's somewhat better known i mean they have like specific and very precise timelines which i really appreciate yes Yes. so yeah i really and actually history.com same thing oh okay um but it's only like for me at least things that i found is is usually when it's like a super well-known thing Mm. um Mm -hmm. you get like crazy detail yeah that's it's nice. It's a good resource. Criminal Minds Wiki, those. Yeah. A jam. I mean, that's 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 it. Yeah. Like and all be all. Legit. So when you mm-hmm. know you're doing somebody that's on Criminal Minds Wiki, you hit the jackpot because mm-hmm. they don't play. Mm-hmm. They don't play. Yeah. No. But I am going to be telling you the story of Arthur Shawcross, the Janice River killer. Okay. Do you know him? Have you heard I of him? I do not. Ooh, fun. No. Fun, fun, fun. I actually didn't know about him until i did this either so okay arthur shaw cross was born to author senior and elizabeth quote-unquote bessie shaw cross on june 6 1945 in kittery maine um, mm-hmm. the family re- relocated to weartown new york a few years later shaw cross was allegedly a frequent bed re- bed wetter and had an overbearing mother who would allegedly sodomize him with foreign objects Fun. So she's a winner. That's delightful. Isn't it? Despite intelligent tests that determine him having an IQ of 86, which is mm. very low yeah. for those yeah. who don't know, um, he received A's and B's during his first two years of grade school. Okay. Which is interesting. Mm-hmm. When he was nine years old, Shaw Cross's aunt performed oral sex on him, and he allegedly had sexual relations with his sister during middle school and junior high which prompted mm. his mom to threaten to castrate him when she found out. Yeah. So just a really great start. Yeah. You know, really great start from early on. Shawcross was socially challenged and spent much of his time alone. His withdrawn behavior earned him the nickname Adi from his peers. He was never a good student, failing both behaviorally and academically during his short time at school. He would often miss classes, and when he was there, he regularly misbehaved and had the reputation of being a bully and picking fights with other students. Mm. Shawcross dropped out of school after failing to pass the ninth grade. Mm. He was 16 years old, and over the next few years, his violent behavior intensified, and he was suspected of arson and burglary. He was placed on probation in 1963 for breaking the window of a store. Hmm. And I believe that store was a Sears. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And what's interesting, especially when we start getting into dates, mm-hmm. I've noticed that the dates are different on each website, but they're still within like a day or two. Yeah, yeah. So if if the date is wrong, I apologize, but yeah. I kind of I just picked one because they were all different anyway. Yeah, I feel like I've noticed that a lot when especially like you said, when you've done like when you have multiple resources, mm-hmm. I feel like when you're getting it directly from like a newspaper, your date will be specific. It's almost as if those secondary resources use like the date from the newspaper they pulled it from. Right. So like, oh, this happened on Monday. So the newspapers dated the 25th, but Monday actually was the 22nd. 
something type of like that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually didn't think about that, but Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. But yes. So if I'm a day or so off, I apologize. That's what I saw. Mm -hmm. All right. So in 1964, Shawcross married Sarah Chatterton and the next year they had a son. In November of 1965, he was put on probation on a charge of unlawful entry. His wife soon filed divorce and she stated that he was abusive Mm. and just not a nice guy. Yeah. And as part of the divorce, Shawcross gave up all parental rights to his son and never saw the child again. Mm. Which I mean, once we get through the story, it's like, good for you. I was just, I was just going to say, I was actually just going to say like, judging on the fact that we're telling a story about him on this podcast, <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's probably best for the child that he was not in his life. Just, just a guess. Yeah. You know. He, uh, both him and his mom lucked out and got out of there early. Yeah. They were like, yeah, deuces. Okay. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. When he was 21 years old, Shaw cross was drafted into the U S army in April of 1967, okay. scoring above average in intelligence tests, which is weird but yeah okay we'll, yeah we'll get into that a little bit um later on right after receiving his draft papers he married for the second time after spending a tour of duty in vietnam during the vietnam war mm-hmm. which he later claimed that he killed 39 enemy soldiers during combat but it was disproved by officials as he was never involved in any combat like he wasn't on the firing line nice. so nice try but no wasn't that a Dahmer thing too didn't Dahmer do that I think so I one of them did Somebody one did. of the yeah, yeah yeah one of the heavy hitters did yeah once he was done with his time over in Vietnam he was assigned to Fort Sill in Lawton Oklahoma mm-hmm. as an armorer after um like I said after his tour ended in September of 68 okay Linda Neary, the woman he married just before he left for Vietnam, witnessed the darker aspects of his personality, including a tendency to set fires. And an army psychiatrist would later state that he gained, quote unquote, sexual enjoyment from the fire setting. Okay. Um, eventually, Shawcross and Linda moved to Clayton, New York, where he began committing crimes, including, once again, arson and burglary. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that was his thing for a while. Yeah, that was his jam. Got it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Linda divorced him sometime after they arrived at Clayton. He was eventually arrested and sentenced to five years in the Attica Correctional Facility in Attica. Attica, Attica. (laughs) 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 It's okay. And uh, he was later transferred to the Auburn Correctional Facility in Auburn. Um, however, after spending a total of 22 months in prison, Shawcross was paroled early in October of 1971 when he saved the life of a prison guard after a riot broke out in the facility. Interesting. Right? That's interesting. He is kind of all over the place. Not going to lie. Upon being paroled, Shawcross then returned to Waretown, New York, where he eventually got a job with the uh, Waterton public works department and also married for the third time (laughs) he's just he's getting all the booty you know you know and i know i've said this multiple times when we go over um these types of people how they get married so many times is beyond me but because they're manipulators because they're master manipulators that's why it's just it's just crazy it's just crazy pants they are manipulators that is why they are criminals because they can manipulate people i mean i guess Um, on April 7th of 1972, Shawcross Lord 10-year-old Jack 
Blake into some woods where he sexually assaulted and then killed him. What you'll come to know is, and what I came to know is, and I figured I'd I kind of throw it out here now. Mm-hmm. He's a bit of a pathological liar. So he'll make up these whacked out scenarios. And nine times out of 10, they're not true. Mm-hmm. But just reading what he said happened as opposed to what actually happened was like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, um, he claimed to have cut out his heart and genitals and ate them. He also claimed that he returned to Jack's grave site several times to have sex with the body. Mm. However, coming from a pathological liar, this was never proven. It's right. just it's just hearsay. Right, right. Blake disappeared near his apartment and was familiar with Shawcross, who had taken him and his brother on fishing trips several times prior to his murder. Because of the suspicious circumstances of the fishing trips, plus several conflicting stories he gave her when she confronted him, Blake's mother suspected Shawcross of being involved with her son's disappearance, Mm -hmm. Um, but the police didn't believe her story at first, and a body was never found. Mm. On September 2nd, five months after Blake's murder, Shawcross, Shawcross raped and killed eight-year-old Karen Ann Hill, who was visiting Watertown. I was saying where town, wasn't I? You were. Okay. It's Watertown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking New Jersey. That's my bad. Watertown. Karen Ann Hill, who was visiting Watertown with her mother, uh, Helene, for Labor Day weekend. Okay. Her body was later found under a bridge crossing Black River. According to autopsy reports, besides her being raped and killed, there was dirt and leaves jammed down her throat. Since he fished under the same bridge, Shawcross became a suspect in her murder. And Detective Charles Kubinski, who was familiar with him, persuaded him to confess. Under a plea bargain deal, Shawcross also provided information to police that proved essential to finding jack blake's body which already displayed an advanced state of decomposition and therefore made it difficult to determine whether he had been sexually assaulted or not Mm. shawcross later pleaded guilty to killing little karen on a charge of manslaughter while the murder charges concerning jack blake were dropped he was found guilty of the charges against him and sentenced to 25 years in prison as a result dang yeah Shawcross served a total of 14 and a half years in state prison. I hate it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I hate it. Sometime during or before his incarceration, he apparently got divorced from his third wife. He was later considered a model prisoner. Of course. And evaluated for the risk of repeating his crimes. So during this said evaluation, he was written off positively, being cited as, quote, a safe and contributing member to society. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. All right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Shawcross was later released on parole in April of 1987, despite a written protest from a senior parole officers in the Binghamton, New York area, and warnings by psychiatrists that he was a quote schizoid psychopath who still, <laughs> who's still don't hold posed. back or anything. <laughs> yeah, right. But I mean, they're they're not wrong, mm. and they also said that still posed a potential danger. However, he had difficulty setting down in local communities since his neighbors would continually protest against his presence, and employers would fire him due to his record. Which, I mean. 
I wouldn't want him in my neighborhood, so I would do the exact same thing. Yeah, no, not so much. (laughs) No, thanks. He first moved to Binghamton before relocating to Delhi with his new girlfriend, Rosemary Wally. When Shawcross's presence became known, the couple immediately moved to nearby Fleischmann's to avoid the criticism and protests only to be met with hostility there as well. Doi. Yeah, yeah. Finally, Shawcross's parole officer moved him to Rochester in late June of 1987, taking him and Rose into the Cadillac Hotel, Mm -hmm. a hotel located in central Rochester, which was also used for housing transients. However, the parole officer failed to notify anyone in the Rochester law enforcement community that a child molester and killer was now living there. Oh, oopsie. That must have slipped my mind. Damn, that's such a little minute detail. Don't worry about it. Additionally, his trail was covered up to prevent anyone from finding him, and his file was made inaccessible to even other police departments. Sometime in mid-October of 1987, Shawcross and Rose found a more permanent residence at the Normandy Brownstone Apartments at 253 Alexander Street in Rochester. The sealing of Shawcross's records would prove to be a grave mistake as he's as he could not stop his violent and murderous tendencies. You think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds yeah. Sounds about right. And it's not like this them sealing his records was, you know, teeny tiny deal. No, no. Mm-hmm. Because of this, he killed 12 more people. Jeez. So good job. Yeah. All right. So I'm just gonna give you a, a quick explanation of just because it was kind of all over the place. So I'm summarizing here. Mm-hmm. He eventually found a job. He got bored with it because it was boring. Um, I think a couple of sites said he got like uh, store clerk jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, he tried other ones. So they were just odd jobs. mundane jobs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He took what he got because of his history, even mm-hmm. though his record was sealed. You know, I'm well, sure yeah. people found things yeah. here and there. And because he was bored with his job, he got bored with his relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's when he started hiring sex workers. Mm-hmm. And he started to frequent Lyell Avenue, which is a section of Rochester that was known for sex workers. So unfortunately, over the next two years, many of them wound up dead. Mm-hmm. All right. So now I'm going to get into his wonderful killing spree. And I apologize in advance. There really wasn't much information regarding his victims. Mm-hmm. I tried. I really did. But mm-hmm. everything I found was more about him. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Dorothy Dotsie Blackburn, who was 27, was a cocaine addict and a sex worker. On March 18th of 1998, she was reported missing by her sister. Six days later, her body was pulled from the Janice River Gorge. An autopsy revealed that she had suffered severe wounds from a blunt object. There were also human bite marks found all around her vagina. And the cause of death was strangulation. Uh, Dorothy's lifestyle opened up a broad range of possible suspects for case detectives to investigate. But with too few clues, the case was eventually, it eventually went cold. Right, right. In September, six months after her body was found, the bones from another missing Lyle Avenue sex worker, Anna Marie Steffen, was found by a man who was collecting bottles to sell for cash. Mm. investigators were unable to identify the victim whose bones were found. So they hired an anthropologist to reconstruct the victim's facial features based on a skull that was found at the scene, which 
cool as fuck. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stefan's father saw the facial recreation and identified the victim as his daughter, Anna Marie. Dental records proved additional confirmation. Mm. The decapitated and decomposing remains of a homeless woman, 60-year-old Dorothy Keller, was found on October 21st, 1989 in the Janice River Gorge. Um, she died from having her neck broken. Yeesh. Another Lyell Avenue sex worker, Patricia Patty Ives, 25, mm-hmm. was found strangled to death and buried under a pile of debris on October 27th, 1989. She had been missing for nearly, nearly a month. Mm. With the discovery of Patty Ives, investigators realized that it was a strong possibility that a serial killer was loose in Rochester. They went from looking for individual murderers to one individual. Sorry. Gotcha. Gotcha. The four victims that were found all went missing and were murdered within months of each other. And three of the four victims were sex workers and they all all had bite marks and had been strangled to death. When the press caught wind of Shaw Koros, who they didn't know that was him at the time, but still, um, he was dubbed the Janice River Killer and the Rochester Strangler. Police started to advise sex workers working in the area to exercise caution and report anything that seemed off. Um, They also started to get as much information as possible about strangers operating in the area, checking criminal records, Um, for offenders who lived in the immediate area of course because his record was sealed Mm -hmm. they had no cross like they didn't even consider him they were like right because he wasn't showing up on any of their searches right correct so again good job to those who sealed it great you did great Mm -hmm. it became apparent that the killer must be someone who was familiar with the women who worked in the area police were able to piece a description together of a regular client called Mitch or Mike. Um, Women said that this particular John was prone to violence. Mm. At the beginning of November, Joanne Van Nostren told police about a client named Mitch who paid, who paid her to play dead. (laughs) And then he would try to strangle her, which she did not allow. Oh Yeah. yeah. She was a seasoned sex worker who had entertained men with all kinds of kinks, but this one, this quote unquote, Mitch managed to give her the creeps, which Mm. rightfully so. Yeah. Especially asking, having that ask of somebody like, Hey, play dead. And then I'll strangle you. No, no, no. (laughs) That's going to be a big NO for me, buddy. Like again, not to yuck anybody's yum, but that's just, that crosses a line that crosses a line. Dude, this was the first lead. This was the first real lead the investigators received. It was the second time that the man with the same physical description named Mike or Mitch had been mentioned in reference to the murders. Mm. Interviews with many of the Lyle Ev sex workers indicated that he was a regular and that he had a reputation of being violent. Uh, Marie Welch, age 22. She was a sex worker who was reported missing on November 5th, 1989. Francis Franny Brown, age 22, was last seen alive, leaving Lyle Avenue on November 11th with a client with the client known as Mike or Mitch. Mm-hmm. Her body, nude except for her boots, was discovered three days later, dumped in the Janice River Gorge. She had been beaten and strangled to death. Mm. Kimberly Logan, 30, another Lyle Avenue sex worker, was found dead on November 15th, 1989. She had been brutally kicked and beaten and dirt and leaves were crammed down her throat, uh, much like Shaw Cross did to eight-year-old Karen Ann Hill. Yeah. 
Um, this one piece of evidence could have led the authorities right to Shawcross had they known he was living in Rochester. Right. So this is a theme here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, I, I know it's redundant to keep saying that, oh, this would have been prevented if they knew this. But like, I feel like it's so important to say. Right. <laughs> right. On Thanksgiving Day. A man walking his dog discovered the body of June Stott, um, who was reported by her boyfriend missing back in October. The one missing person that the police did not connect to the serial killer because she wasn't a sex worker. Mm. Um, like the other one, women found, June Stott suffered a vicious beating before dying, but death did not end the killer's cruelty. Um, an autopsy revealed that Stott had been strangled to death. Okay. The corpse was then anally mutated, mutilated, <laughs> not mutated, mutilated, and the body was cut open from the throat down to the crotch. Um, mm. It was noted that the labia had been cut off and that the killer likely had it in his possession. Stop. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. That bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, for detectives, June Stott's murder sent the investigation to a tailspin. Um, Like I mentioned, she wasn't a drug addict or a sex worker. So it wasn't the same MO as it didn't raise the same flags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. Correct. Um, So now they're like, well, we know there's at least one serial killer. Are we now looking for another one or Mm -hmm. another separate killer? So they were confused. And I mean, rightfully so. Yeah, because usually people don't completely abandon, um, you know, their demographic, their chosen demographic. Correct. Though, I mean, he absolutely did. He started with kids. Yes. And then he went to uh, adult female sex workers and even his kids didn't stick to a single gender. So just like he's kind of all over the place, which is strange, but that's true. No, Mm -hmm. you're right. You're right. More and more women were going missing and those who were found murdered weren't close to being solved. Mm. Uh, At this point, the Rochester police decided to contact the FBI for help. The FBI created a profile of the serial killer. They said that the killer showed characteristics of a man in his thirties, white and who knew his victims. Mm. He was, he was probably a local man familiar with the area and he had, and he probably had a criminal record also based on the lack of semen found on his victims. He was sexually dysfunctional and found gratification after his victims were dead. Mm. They also believe that the killer would return to mutilate the bodies of his victims when possible. So if he didn't do it right then and there, he would go back and yeah. do it at his, at his, leisure. At his leisure. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The body of Elizabeth Gibson, 29, was found strangled to death on November 27th in another county. She was also a Lyle um, Avenue sex worker and was last seen by Joanne Van Nostrand with the Mitch client who she had reported to the police back in October. Mm -hmm. Joanne went to the police and gave them the information along with the description of the man's vehicle with December approaching investigators hoped that the holiday season and cold temperatures would slow down their killer. Mm -hmm. But of course that was not the case at all. Yeah. Three more women disappeared one right after another. Darlene Trippy, 32 was known for pairing up for safety with veteran Joanne, but on December 15th, like others before her, disappeared off of Lyell Avenue. June Cesaro, 34, was a seasoned sex worker known for her good instincts and for always staying alert. But on December 17th, she also vanished. Um, the serial killer attacked one more time on December 28th, plucking 20-year-old Felicia Stevens off the streets. 
and she too was never seen alive again. God. In an effort to find the missing women, police organized an air search of the Janice River Gorge. Road patrols were also sent out, and on New Year's Eve, they found a pair of black jeans belonging to Felicia Stevens. Her boots were found in another location after the patrol expanded the search. On January 2nd, 1990, another air and ground search was organized, and right before calling it off due to bad weather, the air team spotted what appeared to be a body of a half-nude female lying face down near the Salmon Creek. The body, which was surrounded by fresh footprints in the snow, was that of June Cicero. She had been strangled to death, and there were bite marks covering what was left of her vagina, which had been cut out. Mm -hmm. And now when I was doing my research, I unfortunately came across the pictures from that crime scene. Murderpedia is disgusting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Don't do that. Don't look up the Jodi Arias profile either, by the way. No, don't, don't do that. Don't do it. It wasn't, it wasn't great. Mm -mm. It was, it was actually very sad. So yeah. Okay, so the air crew also spotted a man standing on the bridge next to a small van who appeared to be urinating. But when he spotted the air crew, he immediately fled the scene in his van. Mm. You don't, you don't, you don't shit where you eat, man. You don't, you don't or do pee. that. Or pee. Or pee, where or you, pee where you dump ew. your victims. Yeah, no, yeah. I realized I said that in poor taste after, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. You know what I mean. <laughs> Patrol teams on the ground were alerted to the vehicle, which had sped away. They finally tracked down Shaw Cross via the car's registration, which was in the name of his girlfriend, Clara Neal. When approached, Shaw Cross agreed to assist the police with their inquiries. When they asked for his driver's license, he admitted he did not have one and then revealed that he had been in jail for a manslaughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. After hours of questioning, investigators still were unable to get him to admit to any of the Rochester murders. With nothing to hold him on, the police had to let him go, but not before taking his picture. Joanne, along with the other sex workers, identified the police picture of Shawcross as the same man they called Mike slash Mitch, whatever the M name was. Mm -hmm. Um, It turned out that he was a regular customer of many of the women on Lyell Ave. Shawcross was brought in for questioning a second time. After several several more hours of interrogation, he still denied having anything to do with the murdered women. It was not until the detectives threatened to bring his wife and his girlfriend Clara in together for questioning and they could be implicated in the murders did he begin to confess. His first admission that he was involved in the murders was when he told police that Clara had nothing to do with it. Once his involvement was established, the details began to flow. The detectives gave Shawcross a list of 16 women who were missing or murdered, and he immediately denied having anything to do with five of them. He then confessed to murdering the others. Mm. With each victim that he confessed to killing, he included what the victim had done to deserve, to quote unquote, deserve what they got. One victim tried to steal his wallet. Another wouldn't be quiet. Another made fun of him. And another had nearly bitten off his penis Jeez, which i mean if he was being violent towards her do you really blame her correct no no, no i agree because <laughs> girl yeah. i'm right there with you you tried you tried mm-hmm. um he also blamed many of the victims for reminding him of his domineering and abusive mother so much that once he began to hit them couldn't stop yeah when it came time to discuss june stott Shawcross appeared to become melancholy. 
Apparently, June was a friend and had been a guest in his home. My God. Yeah. He explained to the detectives that the reason he mutilated her body after killing her was a kind favor he extended to her so she would decompose faster. Such a nice guy. Wow. Such a nice guy. What a prince. Yeah. Um, He pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. And during his trial, his lawyer tried to prove that Shawcross was a victim of multiple personality disorder stemming from his years of being abused as a child. Post-traumatic stress disorder from his year in Vietnam was also um, offered up as a reason why he went insane and murdered women. The big problem with this defense was that no one, there was no one who backed up his stories. His family completely denied his accusations of abuse. Right. Which sucks for him Mm -hmm. (laughs) but good the army provided proof that shaw cross was never stationed near a jungle and that he never fought in combat never burned down huts was never caught behind a firebomb and never went on jungle patrol as he claimed Mm. it was discovered that he had an extra y chromosome kleinfelter syndrome yep interesting which some have suggested although there's no proof it makes a person more violent Mm, okay Um, yeah i've never heard that before as being a thing with kleinfelters but okay no a cyst found on his right temporal lobe was said to have caused him to have behavioral seizures where he would display animalistic behavior such as eating the body parts of his victims Mm. yeah in the end it came down to what the jury believed and they weren't fooled for a moment after deliberating for just a half hour, mm-hmm. <laughs> they found him sane and guilty. He was sentenced to 250 years in prison and received an additional life sentence after pleading guilty to the murder of Elizabeth Gibson in Wayne County. That's the one that's the sex worker he killed, but it was mm-hmm. wound up in a different county. Mm-hmm. Um, on November 10th, 2008, he died of cardiac arrest after being transferred from the Sullivan Correctional Facility to an albany new york hospital he was 63 years old dang yeah and what's interesting i mean what's interesting about him and his case and how he tried to do the insanity plea there's actually a documentary on hbo max i believe i told you about it briefly it was crazy not insane Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he was one of the subjects that the doctor was studying apparently he would switch to a different altar mm. and it would her its name was bessie and it was his mother mm. like it, it acted like his mom and his mom's nickname was bessie interesting so and the doctor was saying how he depending on who was fronting the body had mm-hmm. was either smarter or not so intelligent and it would be different handwriting all that yeah. stuff yeah I find that shit so interesting. Oh, it's super fascinating science. Yeah, for sure. The only thing that sucks is it's very hard to prove because there's so many skeptics. Yep. So he was one of the ones that they think (laughs) it was that was the case, but they aren't sure because it's if they're good at being manipulators, they're going to manipulate what you see. So, right. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, that is the story of author Arthur shawcross both his names are hard to say i'm sorry <laughs> like both of them are hard like i don't like arthur because i would keep saying author and that's mm-hmm. not his name so that's Correct. why i kept calling him shawcross which was also kind of a tongue twister <laughs> but i blame that on the new jersey accent yeah seriously so. 
Seriously. So, yeah. Wow. That's kooky, crazy one. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that one, Jovi. You're welcome. Good job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that just about does it for our mm-hmm. show today. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I'm tired. Yes. It's Friday. We usually record on Wednesday afternoon. It's Friday. I am just like Same. run over. Same. I run over. Yeah. I, I agree. My brain is like, what the fuck are you doing to me? Yeah, this is not nice. Yeah. Brain well, is sludge. I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. All right. Well, Jovi, again, thank you so much for telling that story. You're welcome. To all of you listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, listening to us every single week, we appreciate all that you do to support us and um, spread the message that is Bed Crime Stories. If you'd like to find us on social media, you can find us Bed Crime Stories on Instagram, Twitter. If you'd like to shoot us an email uh, with any story suggestions or just to say hi, you can email us bedcrimestoriespod at gmail.com. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, make sure you like, rate, review, and subscribe. Tell a friend, you know, spread the word, all of that good, fun stuff. Please, everybody be kind to one another. Watch out for each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Spread the love. The best thing that we can do is just be kind and open our minds to one another's differences. Absolutely. And I guess that's pretty much it guys. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We appreciate all of you. We love all of you so much. Mm -hmm. We'll talk to you next week, but until then sweet Sweet dreams. dreams. Our theme song is the song industrial music box by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com licensed under creative commons by attribution 3.0 creative commons.org backslash licenses backslash by backslash 3.0.